with me tonight, if you will, to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. And uh, Brother Robert, I don't know if this is loud enough out there, but can you give me maybe just, just a little bit more in the monitors if it's already loud enough out there? Uh, but Genesis chapter number 24. And I'll uh, tell you what, it's amazing to me that this chapter landed on Valentine's Day because, man, one of the greatest love stories in the Bible is found in this chapter. And we started it last week and, and just made it not quite halfway through. Lord willing, we'll finish it up tonight as we move on through this. Uh, but anyway, we've been looking at the subject, a bride for Isaac, a bride for Isaac. We noticed last week in verses 1 through 9 of this chapter, the servant is dispatched. And uh, if you remember, Abraham made his servant swear that he was going to go and find a bride among Abraham's kinsmen in Abraham's country. He didn't want him to find one among those heathen daughters of Canaan. And then we found in verses 10 and 11, the supplies were delivered. And uh, he had the full backing. He had the wherewithal of his master. He gave him everything he needed to go out and find this bride. And then we saw in verses 12 through 25, the supplication was direct. I mean, he asked for something specific and got a specific answer. And uh, if you remember, he said, Lord, the one that you've chosen, I pray that she will not only offer to get water for me, but also water for my camels. And that's exactly what she did. And uh, so then we found where this, the reason that all this was coming to pass was because the submission was decided. He said, I was in the way. I being in the way, the Lord led me. He was in the way of the Lord. And as long as he was in God's way, he was going to be in the right way. And uh, God was going to meet his needs and answer his prayers and give him uh, and lead him to the perfect will of God for Isaac. So tonight that brings us to uh, verse number 29. And we continue here to see in this chapter how God uh, was orchestrating this great love story. God was in arrangements of every single bit of it. And, uh, and, and we can see his hand in it from beginning to end. But let's look here at verse number 29. We'll pick up here and we see here the intensity of the mission. Look at verse 29, if you will. We left off where uh, he's given Rebecca, the servant has given Rebecca these jewels, and, and, uh, and she is running back in verse 28. The damsel ran and told them of her mother's house these things, and she was so excited about how things were beginning to take place here. And, uh, but at this point, she didn't even know why the servant was there, probably. As far as we know, she was just excited about what he'd given her. But aren't you glad we got something better than just what God gives us? We've got God himself, and uh, the best was yet to come for her. And so look here, if you will, at verse number 29. The Bible says, And Rebekah had a brother, and his name was Laban. And Laban ran out unto the man unto the well. And it came to pass when he saw the earring and bracelets upon his sister's hands, and when he heard the words of Rebekah his sister, saying, Thus spake the man unto me, that he came unto the man, and behold, he stood by the camels at the well. Now we're going to see here that Laban, this is the first mention we find of Laban, and if you know Genesis pretty well, if you know the story well, you know that we're going to see later on this man was a very materialistic man. He got real excited about money and material things. In fact, to the point of cheating Jacob out of some things later on. Uh, but he was excited probably when he saw uh, that this guy must be a man of means because of the gifts that he had already given to his sister, Rebekah. And so look at verse number 31. <clears throat> and he said, Come in, thou blessed of the Lord. Wherefore standest thou without? For I have prepared the house and room for the camels. And the man came into the house, and he ungirded his camels, and gave straw and provender for the camels, and water to wash his feet and the men's feet that were with him. This man was full of hospitality. I mean, he, he ended up being a scoundrel. We know that later on down the line. But this was the hospitality of this day, just, just friendliness. He just met this man. And this man, the servant of Abraham, obviously has quite a few servants with him. He had 10 camels with him, and so he had to have several men with him. And so he brings out water for them to wash their feet, and he, he uh, opens up his home to them. 
and a very, in a very hospitable way. Now verse number 33. And there was set meat before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat. Boy, notice this. I will not eat until I have told mine errand. And he said, speak on. That's why I call this the intensity of the mission. This servant was not commissioned by Abraham to go try out the food where Abraham used to live. He wasn't just sent over there to look at the scenery in Abraham's homeland. He was sent for one purpose, and this servant was determined to keep the main thing the main thing. He knew why he was there. He wasn't there just to, uh, he wasn't there just to uh, win friends and influence people. He wasn't there just to make a whole bunch of new acquaintances. He was there for one reason. He was commissioned by the master to find a bride for his son. And I'll tell you what, that's what the Holy Spirit does today. He is there, uh, he is in this world uh, just to, to try to call out a bride for the Lord Jesus Christ to convict the hearts of sinners and show them they need to receive Christ. By the way, that's why we're here too. That's why we're here on this earth is we need to keep the main thing the main thing. You know what God is interested in and what God is concerned about in 2024 is probably not the same thing that most people, especially most Americans, are concerned about in 2024. Most Americans are concerned about politics. Most Americans are concerned about who's going to win in November. Most Americans are concerned about the stock market and their investments and the economy and inflation and all this kind of stuff. Can I tell you something? That stuff doesn't have a whole lot of effect in heaven. What God is concerned about in 2024 is the souls of men. And that's the main thing. That's what God wants us to be about. And that's what this servant was so concerned about. He said, look, I'm not going to eat anything. I appreciate you offering it. And you've been very kind. But I'm not going to eat anything until I tell you what I'm here for. And uh, that's, that, he was laser focused on this mission that he had been given. God, give us some Christians in 2024 that will be laser focused. Even though we need to work our jobs. Even though we need to have vacation time. Even though we need to do family things. There's nothing wrong with having leisure and, and, and sports and different things like that. Oh, God, give us some Christians, though, that would say, hey, even though I'm going to do these things, they're not going to be the main thing in my life. The main thing in my life is going to be going after other people to get them to Jesus. That's what God would have for us to do. And that's what God's concerned about in 2024. 24. Notice verse 34. Well, this servant here, uh, after in verse 33, Laban says, speak on. What's your errand? What are you here for? What's so important to you? Look at this one line here in verse 34. And he said, I am Abraham's servant. Now, this is an interesting thing. Don't forget here in this passage of scripture, this entire thing here is a picture of uh, the servant is a picture of the Holy Spirit going out to get a bride for Jesus Christ, but also I believe it's a picture of the, the soul winner. It's a picture of the Christian going out to try to win people to Jesus Christ, to get more people in that bride of Christ. And notice here what he says. He didn't say, oh, here's my name. Here's who I am. He never even gave his name. We don't even know for sure if this was Eliezer. We don't even know for sure what this man's name is. And you know, Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, he said, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he shall not speak of himself, he shall speak of me. And that was the, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is an incredibly important member of the Godhead. He's just as much God as God the Father. He's just as much God as God the Son. His work is just as important. But the truth is that there's a lot of people that get so caught up in Holy Spirit this and Holy Spirit that. I would just say this, as important as it is to be filled with the Spirit, it's a command of God Beware of anything that majors more on the Holy Spirit than it does on Jesus Christ. Because the Holy Spirit's job was not to glorify himself. The Holy Spirit's job is to lift up Jesus and draw people to Jesus. By the way, that's our job too. Remember John the Baptist? He must increase, but I must decrease. There's way too much in Christianity of people going around. Hey, what are you here for? Well, I'm so-and-so, and I'm so-and-so, and I've done this, and I've done that. Hey, the truth is, none of that ma doesn't matter who I am. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what any of our names are. What matters is what his name is and that other people know who he is. 
That's what our job is. That's what we're here for is to tell people about him, not ourselves. And so then notice verse 35. He says, I'm Abraham's servant. And he doesn't say anything about how great he himself is. He doesn't say anything about how great the camels are. He doesn't say anything about how great the other servants are. He says in verse 35, and the Lord hath blessed my master greatly, and he has become great. And he hath given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and men servants and maidservants and camels and asses. This guy couldn't talk enough about how great his master was. Well, can you imagine? We would turn the world upside down if we'd stop talking about how great we are and start talking about how great he is all the time. Man, I tell you what, we've got a great God. We've got, we got, we got quite a subject that we're supposed to be talking about. And it's not any of us. It's all about the Lord. And uh, so we ought to talk about how great our Heavenly Father is. We ought to talk about how great our Master is and all the things that He has and all the things that He does. And if we get more concerned about making the Lord great in people's eyes, we'd get a whole lot farther in winning people to Christ. Now, verse number 36, he says, And Sarah, my master's wife, bare a son to my master when she was old. And unto him hath he given all that he hath. Man, I love the pictures of Jesus the Son, Jesus Christ, God the Son, here in this passage. He says, my master is great. He's got all these things. He's so rich. He's so powerful. He's so wonderful. But he's given all these things into the hand of his son. His son is inheriting all these things. Oh, my, we've got a wonderful heavenly father where he lives the, the, the foundation stones, what we use cinder blocks for, are made out of precious stones. I mean, the asphalt in heaven is made out of solid gold, as clear as glass. I'm talking about walls of jasper, gates of pearl, and then the things that are not materialistic. I'm talking about the peace and the joy and the love and all the things that God has. Hey, can I tell you something? God's the one that owns this world, and he's going to commit it to his son. Jesus Christ, the son, is going to inherit all things. As a matter of fact, that's what the Bible's talking about <clears throat> in Psalm number 2. And verse number 7, listen to this. It says, I will declare the decree, the Lord, that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's Jehovah in the Old Testament, God the Father. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. That's a prophecy way before Jesus, hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born at Bethlehem. God the Father is, is going to have an only begotten son by the name of Jesus Christ. And he says, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Now we find that's going to be fulfilled in Revelation chapter number 11 and verse number 15. The Bible says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Oh, just as Abraham was going to commit everything into the hand of his son, just as Isaac was going to inherit everything that Abraham had, Jesus Christ is on tap. I mean, he's in line to inherit this entire world, and it's going to be his someday. Now, it already belongs to God. We know that. But I'm telling you what, I'm glad there's coming a day when Joe Biden is not going to be ruling over America. There's coming a day when, when North Korea will not belong to Kim Jong-un, and China will not belong to Xi Jinping, and Russia will not belong to Vladimir Putin. You name the country, you name the leader. I'm talking about the entire world will belong to Jesus Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And boy, I tell you, that's a wonderful thing that we ought to tell people that look, all these things that we see today, this, uh, all these different nations and all the different policies and all the different dictatorships and all of that kind of stuff. And this big global one world system they're trying to push on us, that they're preparing us for. I'm telling you what, it's only going to be for a short temporary time. Then Jesus Christ is coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and he shall reign forever and ever. 
Well, I tell you what, I think we ought to get pretty excited about that. Now, verse number, uh, verse number 37, he begins to go on and tell the story that we already know, that we've read about. But look how he tells it in verse 37. And my master made me swear, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife to my son of the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. God's not interested in calling out Canaanites. God wants a peculiar people. Abraham said, I don't want you to get a wife of these Canaanites. I don't want these heathens. I don't want these pagans. Hey, listen, I want, I want a wife for my son. That's the right kind of wife. And boy, I'll tell you what God is looking for. But aren't you glad that whenever he calls us out, we are heathens, we are pagans, we are sinners, but we can be sinners saved by grace. And we can be brought in, adopted into God's family and, and become a part of his bride. Verse 38, but thou shalt go unto my father's house and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son. And I said unto my master, peradventure the woman will not follow me. And he said unto me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with thee and prosper thy way. And thou shalt take a wife for my son of my kindred and of my father's house. Then shalt thou be clear from this my oath when thou comest to my kindred. And if they give not thee one, thou shalt be clear from my oath. Look at verse 40 again, if you will. He said, the way that I knew that I was going to be able to be in the right way and I was going to find the right one is the Lord promised that Abraham told me that the Lord promised him he would send his angel with my servant and prosper his way. Folks, we're on the same mission as this servant was. We're out, we're out going to try to find people, but we've got something even better than what this servant had. This servant had an angel going before him. Listen to what we have. When Jesus gave the great commission in Matthew chapter 28, he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Mark says it like this, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. He's telling us to do the same thing this servant was doing, going out to help find a bride for the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And then he says, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, amen. We got something better than what this servant had. This servant had an angel leading him. We've got something better than an angel. We've got the almighty son of God, the heavenly bridegroom himself with us. And he said, as you go out to tell people about me, and as you go out to give my gospel, as you go out to tell people that I died for their sins, I was buried and I rose again. You don't have to go alone. You don't have to be afraid when you knock on that door. You don't have to be afraid when you hand out that gospel track. You don't have to be intimidated and worried because you're not by yourself. I am with you all the time. Folks, if we've got him with us, what do we need to be afraid of? We ought to have all the boldness in the world. You remember whenever you were younger, maybe you had a big brother. And maybe you were smaller than this bully that was picking on you. I tell you what, you, you were no match for that bully and you were afraid to be around him. But if your big old brother walked up there with you, I tell you what, you felt like you could take on the world, didn't you? Because you had somebody big right beside you. Folks, I'll tell you what, we may feel intimidated by this world. This, 2024 is not a time to be intimidated. It's not a time to hide underneath the table. It's not a time to crawl underneath the bed and say, oh my, look how bad the world is. Look how bad the LGBTQ crowd is. Look how bad the communists are. Oh my, we're in a bad shape. Yes, we are in a bad shape, but we are the ones that have somebody a whole lot bigger than anything or anybody they've got. We ought to have a whole lot more boldness than they do. We ought to be a lot louder than they are about our cause because we have not just an angel, we have the, the holy, all-powerful Son of God with us as we serve the Lord. Look at verse 42. And I came this day unto the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if now thou do prosper my way which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when the virgin cometh forth to draw water, and I say to her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water thy pitcher to drink. 
And she say to me, both drink thou, and I will also draw for thy camels. Let the same be the woman whom the Lord hath appointed out for my master's son. I really want you to see verse 45. And before I had done speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came forth with her pitcher on her shoulder. And she went down unto the well and drew water. And I said unto her, let me drink, I pray thee. Folks, two things about verse 45. Notice he said, I hadn't even got done praying. And all of a sudden I looked up and there she was. Kind of reminds you of what God said in Isaiah 65 and verse 24. He said, and it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. You say, man, why do we come out on, uh, why do we come out in the middle of the week for prayer meeting night? Man, I got so much stuff going on. It's all I can do to leave work and get here in time. I'm so tired. I'm so worn out. After all, it's Valentine's Day. I ought to be out somewhere eating with my wife instead of in church. Folks, I'll tell you what, we're not wasting our time here because we have a God that sometimes we pray and pray and pray and he wants to see if we're really in business. Sometimes whenever we pray, before we even get the words out of our mouth, he's already sending the answer on the way. I'm telling you, God is still on the throne and prayer still changes things. Prayer still makes a difference. But notice something else here in this verse. He said, before I had done speaking, in mine heart. This guy was not over there on his face hollering out and sweating and all kinds of stuff. Oh God, send this woman. Oh God, help her to feed my, help her to water my camels, please. He was speaking in his heart. He wasn't even praying out loud. He was in his heart. Folks, I'm here to tell you that's the good news that we can pray. We don't have to be somewhere like they are at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem making all these noises and doing like this with their body. And I'm not mocking them. I'm just saying we don't have to do that. We can pray driving down the road. You can pray on the job at work, sitting there on, standing there on the assembly line. I mean, listen, we, we can pray anytime, anywhere. We don't even have to say the words because before we even can say it in our heart, God already knows what we need. Isn't it good to have a God like that? Man, I tell you, I'm so glad I've got a God that knows our need before we even ask. And sometimes while we're even praying. I love stories about how God answered prayer and somebody prayed for it that day. But then the answer came and it had to have already been on the way before they even prayed. Somebody prays for money and they say, God, i got to have this money. I need it today. And they go to the mailbox and there it is. Somebody didn't mail that whenever they prayed. God already knew what they needed before they prayed, and somebody had mailed it two or three days before, and God already knew it. Hey, aren't you glad we got a God that knows exactly what we need, when we need it, and even before? You say, well, why should we even ask then if he already knows? Because we need that for ourselves to know that we can get a hold of a God that's all-powerful, and we can rejoice. Jesus said, ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. If God just always gave us everything we needed without us praying, we'd never spend time with him. Prayer draws us closer to him and shows us how much we need him. And it also gives us joy whenever he answers our prayer because we know that we have that relationship as a child with their father. Now look at verse number 46 with me, if you will. And she made haste. He's still telling them what we already know about this story, but he's just telling her family about this. And she made haste and let down her pitcher from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. So I drank, and she made the camels drink also. And I asked her and said, Whose daughter art thou? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bare unto him. And I put the earring upon her face and the bracelets upon her hands. And I bowed down my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, which had led me in the right way to take my master's brother's daughter unto his son. And now, if ye will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Something so important in verse number 48. He says, God, the, God, the Lord God of my master Abraham led me in the right way. Folks, I'll tell you what, life is full of crossroads, isn't it? Life is full of decisions. 
Sometimes they may not seem like they they're that big of a deal and they're not going to have that big a consequence. But they may even be something about uh, the decision to make regarding a friend or regarding a job or whatever it might be, even regarding some kind of a, a vehicle. Or I don't know. There's all kinds of decisions we make. We're standing at crossroads a lot in our lives. Sometimes we wonder, how am I going to make the right decision? How do I know which way to go? How do I know if I'm going to make the right decision? I don't want to get down this path and find out I should have taken the other one. Folks, I'll tell you what, the way, the way to know that you're on the right way is just always go God's way. And whenever there's a choice, now I know sometimes there's choices. Should I eat Captain Crunch or Honey Nut Cheerios? I mean, I'm not talking about that kind of stuff, but I'm talking about things that there's a right and a wrong. Sometimes people say, well, I know what the Bible says about this, and I know, that, I know this is what's right, but boy, if I do that, it, this and this is going to happen, so I better do this. No, that's the wrong way to think about it. I tell you what, if the, if the way that we think is going to work out better contradicts God's way, you, you can mark it down, we're going the wrong way. Whatever the right way is, whatever is, a, is in accordance with this book right here, even though it may seem like it's not going to work out right, just go God's way and you'll make sure, he'll make sure that you're in the right way. And that's exactly what happened with this servant. Now verse number 50. Notice here, Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing proceedeth from the Lord. We cannot speak unto thee bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go and let her be thy master's son's wife as the Lord hath spoken. So we see here these, these others here, her family members were willing for her to go. It didn't really affect their lives too much. I'm sure they would miss her, but they were willing for her to go. But we're going to see that wasn't, that wasn't quite enough for Isaac to get her, the fact that they were willing for her to go. Verse 52, and it came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. Now she has not yet become the bride of Isaac. She's still got to take that long journey back on a camel to go and meet her bridegroom and become his wife. She has not yet, her faith has not become sight. She still has not become his wife. But what this servant is doing is just showing her some of the things that are in store for her. In other words, he's just giving her a little taste of what's still to come. Aren't you glad that whenever we get saved, the Bible says, whom having not seen, we love. We don't even know what Jesus looks like. We're not... We're not yet in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb yet, like we will be after the rapture when we're in heaven. We're not there with him yet bodily. But aren't you glad until that time comes, he gives us some things, just like this servant gave Rebecca. He gives us some tokens for good. I mean, he gives us some things, some love and some peace and some joy and some provision here on this earth that's just a small token of the great things we're going to get whenever we're with him. Oh, man, I tell you what, it's the greatest thing in the world knowing that we're part of the bride of Christ and the best is yet to come. Verse number 54, and they did eat and drink, he and the men that were with him, and tarried all night. And they rose up in the morning, and he said, send me away unto my master. And her brother and her mother said, let the damsel abide with us a few days, at the least ten, after that she shall go. Now hold on a second. First they said, okay, yeah, take her and go. Then now they're beginning to get cold feet a little bit and say, okay, well let us have about ten days. And, and what's the rush? I mean, they're going to be together the rest of their lives. Just let her stay for a little while. I tell you what, if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as your Savior, this is the way the devil operates. He doesn't come to somebody and say, oh, you don't need to get saved. As a matter of fact, he probably comes and says, yeah, that would be a good idea. But don't do it now. What's the rush? What's the rush? And I think it was Sam Jones, the old evangelist, who said the road to hell is paved with good intentions. There's a whole lot of people that say, oh, I'm going to get saved one day, but I still, got some, I still got some things I want to do first. I need to get my ducks in a row. The devil will see to it those ducks never get in a row. 
The Bible says now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Not something to wait 10 days for. Not something to wait 10 weeks for. No, now is the time. We don't even know that boast not thyself of tomorrow. We don't even know that we have tomorrow. Now is the time to receive Jesus Christ. And, uh, but, but that's what they're saying. Sure, uh, go ahead and take her, but just let her wait a little while. Oh, but the servant was having none of that. I mean, he had too big of a job. He had too big of a mission. He was too focused on what the master had given him to do. He knew that this was serious business. He couldn't just lollygag around and sit around there and eat and drink and be merry for 10 days. He needed to get back to the master's son. And that's where we see here the invitation of the master. Look at verse 57. And they said, we will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. They said, look, you can take her. We'd rather you stay 10 days. But ultimately, it's up to her. Now just picture this. They're all sitting around and this servant of Abraham is telling them about his master's son. Rebecca, I don't even know if she's with them at the time because they say here, we will call the damsel. So maybe she's off in another room or maybe she's just out of, out, out of their sight or whatever. But I can picture as, man, her, her heart is pounding as she's thinking, man, there's some things happening here. I've got all these jewels I didn't have just a few hours ago. This man is here for this reason. And she begins to tell all about how this man Abraham her relative, but how this man Abraham was blessed of God and God had miraculously given him and Sarah a son. And then how God had called upon Abraham to sacrifice that son and then miraculously spared his life and raised him up and now he's looking for a bride. And so boy, she's standing there and she's listening and thinking about all this stuff. She hears her family say, well sure, go ahead and take her. But that wasn't good enough. She was the one that had to make the decision. Her family couldn't make the decision for her. And, the, and Abraham's servant wasn't going to tie her up and say, hey, you're the one. You got water for my camels. I know you're the one. Whether you like it or not, you're coming with me back to Isaac. No. He had to call her. And notice what it says in verse 58. And they called Rebekah and said unto her, wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. Those three words were going to change her life and the life of the rest of the world, to be honest, the history of the world. I will go. I'll tell you what, that is a perfect picture of the fact that God wants everybody to be his bride. God wants everybody to be a part of the bride of Christ. And he offers that invitation, whosoever will, let him come. Whosoever will, let him take of the fountain of the water of life freely. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's, the invitation is offered to all but it's up to that individual to receive it. I wish I could get saved for every single person that ever comes and sits in these pews. I wish I could make the decision for every person that I knock on their door and they come to the door and they say, no, I don't know, I'm going to heaven. I wish for them I could say, well, let me get saved for you. You ought to get saved. Jesus has paid it all. He offers that invitation. I wish I could get saved for everybody, but I can't do that. There was a time in my life where the Holy Spirit came and said, will you take Jesus Christ as your Savior? And I had to for myself say, I will. I will. And that has to happen for every single person. Otherwise, you're never a child of God. It's up to that individual to make that choice. But oh, tonight, all I know is the Bible says the Spirit and the bride say come. That means the Holy Spirit urges somebody to be saved. And the other Christians, which are part of the bride of Christ already, they say come. And, and all we can do is say, look, please, go with us. There's so many things that you can have in heaven. Heaven is more wonderful than you could imagine. The master's more wonderful than you can imagine. His son is perfect. He's great. And oh, he wants you to be his bride. But at the end of the day, every individual has to say it for themselves. I will go. I will go.
And boy, that's, what, that's the decision that Rebekah made. Look at verse 59. And they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said unto her, Thou art our sister. Be thou the mother of thousands of millions, and let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate them. That prophecy has been fulfilled. Because she made this choice to go, she ended up being so fruitful. And her son was going to end up being who now is Israel. And oh, how, oh, how God has blessed the entire world because of him. Did you know that if we decide to say yes to Jesus and receive him as our Savior, then we too can be fruitful. And we can go out and bear much fruit uh, the way that he wants for us too. Now look here lastly at the initiation of the marriage. Verse 61. And Rebekah arose and her damsels and they rode upon the camels and followed the man and the servant took Rebekah and went his way. We said it last week, there's some things that are easier read than done. <laughs> and that's easy. We read that verse so fast. She arose and her damsels, they rode upon the camels and followed the man. Did you know that some people estimate that it would have taken months for them to make this trip by camel? And I'm talking about, I've never, well, actually I don't, I can't, I'm trying to remember if I've ever ridden a camel. Sometimes I've been in a place where they had camel rides. But anyway, people that have say it's one of the bumpiest rides, one of the most uncomfortable rides that you can ever ride. I mean, it's worse than, a, it's worse than an old 1970-something Ford truck on a pothole road. I'm telling you, it's bumpy. And here she is out there riding on this bumpy camel. What a rough ride, going through the desert that was blazing hot in the summertime. I mean, sandstorms coming through there. And, uh, and then at night, it gets so cold out there on the desert and every day and every night for this young lady, for days and weeks and maybe even months, she's riding on this rough ride. But I picture at night, whenever they get off the camels and they're sitting around the campfire, she looks at this servant and says, now tell me about this Isaac again. And he says, now I've already told you about him. I've told you, I've told you, I've tried to describe what he looks like. I've told you what his personality is like. Oh, you're going to love him. I've already told you. And she says, oh, just tell me again. Hey, I'll tell you what, as we're on this rough ride, and I'll be honest with you, uh, how many of you tonight would say, yes, this journey to heaven is the wonderful thing. Jesus is sweeter every day, but it's a pretty rough ride. I mean, there's some storms that come. There's some bumps in the road. There's physical bumps, and there's, phys and there's uh, financial bumps and family bumps. I mean, it's a rough ride. Oh, but my friend, as we sing the song, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And until that time comes, I love to hear a message about him. I love to hear a song about him. And what I'm saying is, look, I've read everything about him in the Bible, and one day I'm going to see him face to face. But until that time comes, just tell me a little bit more about him. More about Jesus, what I know. More of his grace to others show. More about Jesus. Oh, man. And uh, here she is on her way back. And uh, she's on this rough ride, but she's knowing it's going to be worth it for when she will see him. And it's going to be worth it all for you and me when we see him. Verse number 64, or I'm sorry, verse number 62. And Isaac came from the way of the well of Haroi, for he dwelt in the south country. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide. I don't know what he was meditating on. Probably thinking, there's an old man that went to get me a wife. Oh, man. I hope he, I hope he thought about what my taste might be and not what his is. But anyway, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. Now, somebody pointed this out, and I never really thought about it, but Whenever we're thinking about going to heaven, we always look at it from our point of view because this is where we live. We always think about it from the bride of Christ's point of view that when somebody dies, absent from the bodies, present with the Lord, when Jesus Christ comes back, we're going to take off and leave this sin-cursed world behind. But think about it from Jesus' perspective. Here he is in heaven, paid the price for our sins. He knows that he has purchased us with his blood and now his bride is on this rough ride through this, this journey of life as we're making our way to be with him. And I tell you what, think about from his perspective how much he is longing to step out 
And when the father says, son, go get your children, he steps out, and that trumpet sounds, and then he can be, re, he can be united with his bride. I'll tell you what, and that's just, Isaac here is kind of a picture of, from Jesus' perspective. Isaac here is going out. He has thought about this woman. He's wondered what she's going to be like. He's eagerly anticipated it. And now he looks up and he sees these camels coming toward him, and he knows that now it's going to be his bride. You know, I believe that's the way Jesus is. He can't wait to be with his bride. In his prayer that he prayed to the Father in John 17, he prayed in John 17, 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovedest me before the foundation of the world. He said, Father, I've paid the price for them to be here. And I pray that you'll let them be with me. I tell you what, Jesus always gets his prayers answered, and we are going to ever be with the Lord whenever he comes back. Let's finish this thing out here in verse 64. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. Somebody said that's the first mention of smoking, and that's not true. That's not talking about that, okay? It means she got down off the camel as that she's riding here. And it says, verse 65, For she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, it is my master. <laughs> hey, it's the one I've been telling you about all these weeks. Look, there he is. I've been telling you about him. And you accepted his invitation. You agreed to be his bride. And now the day has finally come. The servant said, it's my master. Therefore, she took a veil and covered herself. There was something she needed to put on. And can I tell you something? Before we can ever see our heavenly bridegroom, we have to be clothed in the robe of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Nobody was ever going to see him without that. But here she covers herself with this veil. And I'm talking about she sees him and their eyes lock. Verse 66, and the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. <laughs> I, guess I, I, uh, I guess nothing. I know I've got a weird mind. But as I read that, uh, and I, it says he told Isaac, I can picture Isaac as he's looking at her. The Bible already said she was very beautiful. And as he looks at her, here comes this servant. He's like, man, Isaac, here she is. Do you like her? <laughs> and he goes up there and he says, now, hey, here's how it all came about. And he begins to tell the whole story. I can picture Isaac just looking at her saying, okay, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And in his mind, he's thinking, will you shut up so I can take my wife? I'm ready to get out of here. Now, I'll be totally honest. My dad and my father-in-law did my wedding, and I love both of those men, two of the greatest men of God I know. But I'll be honest with you, they didn't do it very long, but it was too long. When I was at my wedding, I was like, well, you, if you guys will ever be quiet, I can kiss the bride, and we'll get out of here and go on our honeymoon. But anyway, here's Isaac, and he tells him everything that he had done and how God brought this to pass. And look at verse 67. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Oh, my. Think about all that Jesus went through when he was here on this earth. Jesus Christ went through more discouragement, more sadness, more, more suffering than any human being has ever gone through. And he went through it as the God-man. But he was 100% man as well as he was 100% God. Think about the, the awful agony he had to endure as he was beaten, as his beard was ripped out of his face as he had to have the crown of thorns on his head and beat with the cat of nine tails, as he carried that cross up Calvary's hill on his back that was brutal, brutally beaten and just probably like hamburger meat from the beating, and he carried it up there and laid down on that cross and those huge nails driven through his hands and driven through his feet, separated from his father, and it was dark at midday and he had to cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Hey, nobody's ever suffered like Jesus. Oh, but listen, the Bible says in Hebrews 12 too, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. What was the joy that was set before him? The fact he was going to get to go back to the Father 
and say, Father, here's what I purchased with the blood of your only begotten Son. Here's the bride that I purchased. Oh, my friend, Jesus Christ was able to look down through the cross. He was able to look down through the thousands of years of time. And I thank God he was able to see a David Sumner. He was able to see an Ed Carlson and a Caleb Penland and all of us in here that have received Christ as our Savior. And he was able to know that even though it was a rough time for him and even though it was an awful, agonizing death, he was able to look through that and realize there was going to be the joy of having his bride with him for all of eternity. And I'll tell you what tonight. Are you part of that? I want to ask you now, are you part of that bride of Christ? Is there a time like Rebecca that when you have been offered that invitation that is offered to every person? Don't believe this nonsense that it's offered to some and not others. No, it's offered to everybody. If you're here tonight, Jesus wants to save you. I promise you that. And, and have you received that invitation? Have you said, I will go and I will receive Jesus Christ as my Savior? If you have, and I'd say that's the majority of us, if, uh, maybe, maybe Alton, I don't know, but the majority of us here tonight, we are already part of that bride of Christ. Are we like this servant, laser-focused on keeping the main thing the main thing? I'm not talking about don't go to work anymore. We have to go to work. I'm not talking about don't ever take a family vacation and all that. You know that. Of course, there's other things, other interests and things like that. What I'm saying tonight is this. Like this servant, whenever we get up in the morning, do we immediately go and spend time in the Word of God? Do we immediately go and spend time in prayer? And as we go throughout the day, do we see people as somebody not just a tall man or a short woman or a, or a black or brown or, or yellow or red man or white man. No, do we see every person as somebody that God wants to be a member of the bride of Christ? And are we laser focused on keeping the main thing the main thing? What a story. What a love story. But it's not as beautiful as the love story that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that we could be his bride. Are you part of that bride of Christ tonight? If not, now's the accepted time to receive that invitation. If you are, I urge and encourage you tonight, boy, to, let's just be laser-focused, intense on this mission that God has given us to go out and to reach everybody we can in the time that we have. Let's stand together, please. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these wonderful truths in your word. Thank you for the day, Lord.